The following is Nature of Business with Chrissy Coughlin in association with GreenBiz.com. Welcome back. This is Chrissy Coughlin, and you're listening to Nature of Business. We appreciate you tuning in with us this fine Wednesday morning. We have on the air with us today, Jed Davis. He's the Director of Sustainability for the Cabot Creamery Co-op. Welcome, Jed. Thanks so much, Chrissy. It's a pleasure to be on your show. So, Cabot Creamery Cooperative has been around since 1919. Um, something that maybe our listeners didn't quite realize. Let's talk about let's talk about Cabot. Let's talk about it and um, in in an overall sense and talk about the advantage of a co-op and exactly what a co-op is. Sure. Well. Cabot actually uh, has been in the town of Cabot, Vermont. Uh, there's been a creamery there since 1893. And in 1919, the uh, just shy of 100 farm families that were providing the creamery milk um, were told that the owner was no longer interested in running the creamery. And so they banded together as a cooperative and uh, assessed each uh, farm uh, $5 per cow and a quart of wood to run the run the boiler. And with that, the cooperative started in 1919, and it's been in continuous operation ever since. Um, I think the over, over time, the co-op has grown, and it's changed. In 1992, the, the Cabot Co-op joined with um, a sister co-op known as Agrimark here in the Northeast, and uh, today, it uh, uh, Cabot has four creameries and uh, farms in each of the New England states and in upstate New York. Hmm. Really, the benefit of a co-op is, and I would say the, the cooperative movement in general is, it's an incredibly democratic business model. In other words, it, it really there there are there are seven principles of cooperation, but a key one is that uh, it's founded on a one member one vote basis. So all of the farms in our cooperative, um, you know, can to some extent have the same say, whether it's a big farm, a small farm, whatever. And so um, it, it creates some challenges sometimes in actually getting from the beginning to an end of a conversation. But by the time a conclusion is arrived at, it, it usually has much broader consensus. Mm-hmm. And then the profits, of course, are shared among all those members. Is that correct? Exactly. Very similar to a credit union or maybe a, a food co-op. Uh, you know, my guess is that the vast majority of your listeners probably are members or do business with a co-op in some way, shape, or form. And, and very similar to that, the idea is that based on the amount that you provide, in the case of our farmers, the, the milk that they provide, any profits at the end of the year are distributed back in that proportion. Okay. So there's 1,200 dairy farm families, and they're located in New England and upstate New York. How? Let's talk about how. How does it get? How do you monitor that? How? Do, how is there a quality control aspect of this? Sure, sure. Well, internally, we have about two dozen um, employees who their sole job is to be out on the farm you know, basically every day of the year, trying to work with our members uh, to address any issues that they have, as well as to help assure on issues of quality assurance, animal husbandry, and things like that. Um, you know, in this in this part of the, the country, that's about as, uh, as big a field staff as, as exists. And, you know, most of these folks have been in the dairy industry, either on the farming side or coming out of the you know, the um, uh, colleges of agriculture. And so they just bring a tremendous amount of, of 
input as well as knowledge for the the folks who are actually doing the farming. And this this provides uh, a liaison directly to our members that is we found to be just incredibly important to make sure that that we're responding to what's important to our members, and but also recognizing that if you know part of our goal to provide the very best quality dairy products, it, it doesn't get any better than the milk. The milk has to be you know just top notch. Uh, you can't make great quality award winning dairy products out of poor quality milk. Right. So the the twelve hundred dairy farmers, how, how is it tough to get in? Is there a waiting list? How, how does that process work? Uh, through our membership uh, department, you know, uh, farms that want to get in, you know, need to contact our membership folks. And, and there are a few criteria that, that they then use, um, and, and it, it's as varied as, uh, you know, the, the, obviously the, the quality of the the farm itself, you know, are they using good management practices? Uh, what's the what's the um, the herd look like? You know, as far as scoring the animals in terms of uh, the animal health. But then there's also um, logistical uh, implications as well. You know, the uh, one of the things, one of our impacts is we have to collect the milk. You know, on a on a daily basis from farms all around uh, the region, and so. Uh, to some extent, if it's a farm that's way, way far off the the beaten path, that may be a less uh, desirable location than if it's someone that's closer to some farms that are already members of our co-op. Mm-hmm. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about you and your position. You've been sure. you've been there for quite a while, about twenty years. Is that yes? Okay. Yeah, I'm starting my my third decade here. Yeah, <laughs> congratulations. <Thank you. laughs> And uh, in 2007, you took took your current position, and you were formerly in, in marketing, as I understand. That's right. Why Why did Cabot feel like they needed, at this point, a sustainability director? And then let's talk about what your focus has been upon. Sure, sure. Well, at that point in time, um, you know, and this is this was sort of an epiphany moment for us. You know, we because we're a consumer facing dairy products company, we feel it's very very important to listen to our consumers, listen to our shops, the supermarkets, and, and all that sort, and, um, you know, and try to process the information we get from those audiences. And for, for a long time, we had heard questions about, you know, are, you know is Cabot a, a sustainable organization and so forth? And we had always understood that to be an invitation to talk about how we're a cooperative, you know, how ultimately, if our cooperative uh, model is working correctly, we're helping to keep dairy farms in business, which keeps the landscape open and working and feeds into you know things like tourism in a state like Vermont and, and that sort of thing. What we came to realize in about 2007 or so was that we were misunderstanding the question. And we, when, when we really identified that misunderstanding was when we heard the question asked to us by one of our customers as, what is your sustainability program? You know, and all of a sudden we, we kind of realized, well, wow, I, I don't think we know what we've been being asked in the recent past. Let's figure this out. And so we, um, we actually turned to some outside help, uh, an outside consultant uh, who had a long track record in sustainability to come in and help us really get our hands around even the vocabulary 
of mm-hmm. sustainability, and in the process decided that um, you know this was something that was worthwhile. That we had stakeholders who were interested in this. That we frankly had done some relatively good stuff, not even knowing what we were doing, uh, and that now to make this more of a intentional program, you know, was likely to do nothing more than benefit our, our farmers, our brand, and and uh, all of those associated and our employees as well. Mm-hmm. And that that's you know you bring up an important point that that you are doing a lot of these initiatives anyway. You just didn't have them under the formal sustainability program. So this is a way to actually compile all of the information and get it out in a way that is a good story to tell, which, you know, not greenwashing, but a story. Oh, absolutely. And we had always kind of operated, I know when when I was our director of marketing, we we always internally had kind of referred to a certain Cabot karma, you know, (laughs) that there was just a right way to do things. And and that if you you did those, um, you know, good things happened and that that sort of thing. And and so in a a manner of speaking, this was a way to, um, you know, make that more of an intentional process, but but have it really apply to, you know, three different bottom lines that we were not at that point intentionally managing. So let's talk about what you've referred to as context-based sustainability. This was something Mm -hmm. that uh, really piqued my interest. Sure, sure. Very early on, you know, I mentioned we had turned to an outside consultant to help us get our hands around um, what we were what we were going to do with a, developing a sustainability program and, and that person was a gentleman named Mark McElroy with the Center for Sustainable Organizations uh, also happens to be here in, in Vermont and um, he is a probably the leading proponent in the world for a context-based approach to sustainability metrics and, and managing uh, sustainable uh, sustainability through, you know, looking at the impact. And I, probably the best way I can describe this is that there are a lot of organizations that look, that measure and look at what they are doing in certain areas. As an example, probably the easiest example, let's say water use, okay? Organizations have gotten much better about saying, you know, here's the total number of gallons we used in this year, and then this compares to the next year and so forth. And in many cases, you know, you can see um, steep declines in water use over time, and, and that's great. What context-based sustainability would say however, is that while it's really important to know what an individual organization's impact is, you can't really assess sustainability unless you add in the context of the greater world in which we're in. So in the case of water use, you may be doing a great job of reducing the amount of the gallons of water you use each year, but if you live, you know, if your operation is in a desert, for example, you may still not be to a point where you're sustainably using water. Mm-hmm. And without that context, without knowing what the available resources in and the geography you're playing in, it's it's you can't make a real claim. So what we've done is is start to really build almost a, a dashboard of sustainability metrics and in each case trying to develop uh, the context as well as what our actual impacts are uh, that, 
the way we approach this is as a, sort of as an equation where, uh, you know, our actual impacts are the numerator and our uh, normative impacts, what our impacts should be based on what's available for resources in the world around us, mm-hmm. uh, is the denominator. So we come up with this, this nice quotient and we know if it's, you know, in the case of water, it, it needs to be less than or equal to one for us to be uh, behaving sustainably. And if it's greater than or equal to one, then we need to um, identify ways to you know reduce our impact. Is water one of your main challenges? It's, it's it's wonderful to hear you talk about this in the in this um, context. No pun intended. Um, <laughs> but you, it, water is one of your p- p- main challenges, I would assume. What are some other challenges that you have as a company? Well, I think we fall into a, a somewhat typical um, approach in terms of environmental bottom line issues, uh, you know, issues around energy, carbon, uh, waste, water, um, all certainly, uh, you know, come to the top. Um, on the economic and social bottom lines, we've been working on developing some metrics around our ability to, uh, you know, deliver uh, safe food, you know, making sure that uh, as a food company, um, a lot of these, a lot of these sustainability metrics track directly back to our what we see as our duties and obligations uh, to deliver in certain ways. And certainly, with food, one of the things is to deliver safe food. Um, mm-hmm. With employees, the, the ability to deliver an environment of uh, of safety for our employees and so forth. Those those types of things. Have you found that that since you've taken this position that that since you know sustainability has become more of a formal process within the company that it's motivated employees it has although i would say we have not yet fully realized the benefits of that um when we one of the things that we adhere very strongly to is a stakeholder centric approach to sustainability so really identifying who our uh, stakeholders are and trying to understand what our stakeholders needs are and i think with a lot of organizations at the beginning uh, you know one of the sort of trade off picks is okay so do you choose your customers or do you choose your employees as your first priority um, relative to sustainability and i think there are, there are plenty of examples of it working well in both ways. We happen to choose our customers first and, you know, really try to align ourselves with what our customers were looking at for sustainability. But the whole time we've been recognizing that, you know, the the quickest way internally to really make exponential gains in our in our programs is to uh, engage with our employees to to get you know what we know to be the case is that we have a lot of employees whether at home or or even at work who are already interested along these lines and so how we can programmatically fan those flames of interest I think will just you know tremendously beneficial. That's great. Yeah. And taking what they're doing at home and, and transferring it into the workplace is, is invaluable. Exactly. Back and forth there, I think is good. You know, from the broader, you know, worldwide sustainability effort, I think that's a, a critical step. And I, I see for our program 2012 as being sort of our, our year of engagement along those lines. Um, let's talk, Jed, about, about the organic aspect of things. Um, you, when I go and buy Cabot products, it does not say organic on it. Can you explain why the farmers haven't chosen to go this route? Sure. And, 
some of them have. Okay. In other words, uh, in our cooperative of about 1,200 family farms, we have some. And it's it's not anywhere close to even half. It's probably in the range of about maybe 10% who do choose to uh, farm organically. And and that's great. I mean, that's a that's a, an approach to farming that works very well for them. And we have others who choose to, you know, be quasi-organic. In other words, they may not actually seek the certification, but in all other ways, it looks organic. And then we have some that would, you know, be described more as conventional farming in their approach. One of the, um, you know, one of the challenges and opportunities of being a farmer-owned um, organization is that, you know, we to some extent need to respond to the wishes of our farmers. And what, one of the things that uh, they've been very supportive of is is the actual farm ability to choose the, the approach to uh, uh, milk production that, that makes the best sense for for them. And we've, over time, we, we've actually had a line, this was, gosh, this is about 10 years ago, we had a line of organic cheese that we were we were offering, and you know that was a case where it sold fine. We ran into some logistical challenges about having the right amount of milk when we needed it. Um, our feeling is we didn't want to have a, an extra sharp organic cheddar until we were sure that that was every bit as good as our, our regular extra sharp cheddar. And and, um, and it was. It was a, an award-winning cheese. But over time, the, some of the logistics just meant that it was easier for us to not pursue the organic uh, certification for the cheese. So in a lot of cases with the small farmers, uh, to receive the certification is just a cost-prohibitive endeavor? Well, you know, there's a there's a period of time to transition over if you're going from conventional to uh, organic, and you know, frankly, the the what I hear from our farmers is the biggest uh, sort of expense part of it that's a challenge is the feed side. Mm. Um, in other in other words, uh, that can be expensive, and so for for a number of farms, they have to decide. You know, is the is the market for my milk relative to or the organic market? more lucrative or more beneficial, uh, you know, than, than conventional milk and or, you know, how does it, re- you know, how does it relate to the economic sustainability of, of the farm? And I do have to say there are some of our farms that, you know, I think almost regardless of the economic impact are, are you know, very much interested in pursuing an organic uh, certification f- for what that says about how they conduct, you know, their their farms mm-hmm. because a lot of this has to do with with uh, animal welfare as well and, and customers mm-hmm. wanting to know how you know cows are treated and how the farms are working uh, with you know as it pertains to GMOs and right. bovine right. growth hormone all that all that 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 doesn't necessarily fall into the organic category but you know in some respects but related right but related exactly sure sure we undertook a program this year. Um, and in fact, it, we we prioritize this program over a couple of other sustainability programs that we have uh, in the pipeline with our with our farmers uh, related specifically to animal welfare. And it's a it's a national program called uh, Farmers Assuring Responsible Management or FARM. And uh, again, this was where it was really helpful that we have a you know such a such a uh, large staff of, of field reps who can go out and work you know, one-on-one with our farmers. And it's, it's basically a, you know, a, a certification type program where, you know, the farmers are, are audited on a, on a, a series of, 
of indicators related to animal welfare. And then, um, you know, initially it's done by people trained to give the audits, and then a certain percentage of all of those who uh, participate are then selected randomly to be audited by third-party uh, auditors. And mm -hmm. so we're, we're hopeful to have, I think by the end of this year, we'll have visited virtually all of our farms um, to go over this program. Wow. So, uh, that, that's been a that's been a good effort. That's great. Uh, let's talk energy now. Um, sure. In 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 October of this year, um, it's been stated that Vermont aims the state of Vermont aims for ninety percent renewable energy by twenty fifty, mm -hmm. and that is replaced a two thousand eight plan that called for twenty five percent renewable energy for by twenty fifty. Um, big difference. Big mm -hmm. difference. Huge difference. Um, is this something that, that Cabot is behind, and what, what, what ways are you addressing your energy use? I know that you've been working with a company uh, called Anarnock, and I've had their CEO, Tim Healy, on the show um, to talk about the organization. W what are you doing with regard to energy? Well, for us, energy is a big topic because really, other than milk and wages, it's our, our largest expense. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's true for a lot of organizations. Uh, but we're, you know, at the end of the day, we would be in the category of manufacturers. And so often uh, electricity becomes and energy becomes even more significant. You know, we've taken sort of a, a three-prong approach to this. Uh, we know that there are conservation and efficiency methods that we can employ to reduce our impact. Um, on the efficiency side, uh, here in Vermont, there's an organization called uh, Efficiency Vermont that um, essentially is funded uh, by all of the electrical bills in the state, you know, consumer, commercial, and so forth. And that pool of money is then used to um, help incentivize uh, uh, investments that result in, in uh, reduced electricity usage. We've been able to be uh, extremely aggressive in doing that with our, our facilities here. And in fact, um, this spring, we were recognized for uh, for those energy efficiency gains um, over the past, uh, well, past decade that we've been working with Efficiency Vermont um, by the uh, New England Energy Partnership. And we were recognized as one of their uh, business of, uh, energy efficiency leaders. And I mean, that was, a, that was a nice award to receive, but really, it's a lot of block and tackle work to make sure that, you know, from, from simple stuff like lighting and motors and uh, air compressors and things like that, that we're, we're being as frugal as we can be. Um, at the same time, you know, the getting to a 90% renewable uh, portfolio, we have some advantages in, in the Green Mountain states. I mean, we already have a lot of hydro. Um, you know, one of the big questions will be what happens when uh, Vermont Yankee shuts down. Mm -hmm. um, but there's been a lot of, uh, you know, there's been investment in wind. Uh, there have been other, other noteworthy projects as well. We're looking at it also from our facilities on more of a micro level, less of a state policy level. Um, we still think that there's an awful lot of opportunity for farm-generated uh, energy. We have a number of farms who have been aggressive in adopting uh, anaerobic digestion as a way to both meet some of their waste handling and nutrient needs and also to create electricity. And so uh, programs like um, Central Vermont Public Services' Cow Power Program, uh, the initial farm in that program is one of our, our dairy farmers. And, uh, you know, we, we see there being continued potential for more opportunities like that. 
Great. I, I, that's, uh, I've been doing some work with a company called Harvest Power down in Boston, and they do the, yeah. the it's, it's absolutely fabulous. To take, to take waste and turn it into fuel is, is quite uh, revolutionary, I would say. That's right. Um, talk about the Carbon Smart project that you're doing at the Internoc. Sure. We, you know, one of the things, um, one of the things in, in uh, taking on the position of director of sustainability for our organization was identifying those partners who could really help us, you know, move the dial, as it were, and, uh, and not the dial on the radio, mind you, but, but on the sustainability <laughs> progress. But what we what we found with Enernock as a partner is, uh, and initially we came to know them through demand response, and that's that's kind of more on the conservation side where. Um, you know, and the, the thinking behind that, and I'm sure Tim talked to this when he was on, but the thinking behind that is, you know, rather than look at expanding the amount of generation for energy, let's look at conservation as a solution when the when the grid here in the, in New England gets really tight, you know, in, on after three days of 90 degree heat in the summer or something like that. And so it was great. We worked with Enernoc to be able to go through our facility in Cabot and say, okay, here are the things that on a 30 minute heads up, we could alter in our production cycle that would reduce our electricity needs. You know, and some of this had to do with refrigeration and, you know, and it's the sort of thing that, you know, when the grid is stressed, there are things we can do short term that would help alleviate that stress. And what, what Demand Smart does is really, well, it compensates you for that ability, but it also gives you way, gives you tools to see how your company could deliver, you know, in a time of need like that for the grid. Right. And that was that was definitely we had one of our four creameries in the world in that program. And that was one of the best manufacturing processes that were that were practices that were we identified early and then shared with our other facilities. And, um, you know, now we're we're just a little bit uh, shy of about five megawatts of energy that we can shed should the grid demand that. Hmm. And which is pretty cool when you think about it. Now we couldn't, you know, we couldn't do that for four days running, but you know, for the for a period of three or four hours in an afternoon when, you know, it's like I say, when it's ninety degrees and all the air conditioners are going and there's a huge demand for for electricity, we can actually, you know, we can actually help out in a meaningful way, which is which is great. We also have just started in this year in January working with some software that that Enernoc developed called Carbon Smart which really helps us to look at our carbon footprint uh, information. And this has been great. That was uh, understanding our carbon footprint was the first project we tackled uh, once we, uh, once, once I took this position mm-hmm. and largely because we, we didn't know we had never, we didn't have a protocol for measuring our greenhouse gas emissions. We had, we, it were, you know, now we've got we, we had gone through the process of, of getting to where we had this information on an Excel spreadsheet somewhere. Right. Now using Carbon Smart, it gives us an opportunity to just have it in ways that are much more readily useful in terms of analysis, and also makes collection of the data so much more easy. And it helps you do your job. It helps you do. It helps you do other things. <laughs> Absolutely. It takes a lot of the heavy lifting off of that process, for sure. Exactly. Well, we're going to have to wrap up, but let me, let me ask you, um, what, you, what are you working on now? And what do you see as sort of the biggest uh, opportunities in the next five years for Cabot? Well, I, st- 
still see a lot of opportunities that relate to both the farms and the creameries. You know, in other words, whether it's using renewable energy from the farms to help fuel the creameries, uh, whether it's using, we have a project right now trying to use some of the uh, organic waste feedstock from one of our creameries to help actually, you know, turbocharge, if you will, the the digester on one of our farms. Uh, So I, I continue to think that one of the neat things about Cabot being a cooperative may also be one of the cornerstones of, of some of the neat things we do in sustainability, which would be, you know, really apropos, I think. Um, we continue to look at, you know, energy as a big area where we can uh, make some progress. And, and then the point you mentioned earlier, I, I think we have enormous untapped potential still in the realm of employee engagement. And I think by really trying to uh, ignite that more broadly, I, I think we'll see benefits in terms of activities that are that are taken on in terms of results, and, and even as far as in terms of our ability to compete for the best and the brightest out there in the job market, just based on the, the cool things that we're doing. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, Jed. This has been fabulous. I really Percy, the, it, the pleasure has been mine. Thank you for having me on your show. <laughs> You're welcome. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Thanks. Thanks. The proceeding has been Nature of Business with Chrissy Coughlin in association with GreenBiz.com.